Hey, it's a me, Mario. Love Channel 101, but hate looking at shit? Try Frequency 101. All you gotta do is record an audio pilot, make it five minutes or less, and submit it to... Submissions at Channel101.com! The listening audience will vote for the favorites, Mamma Mia, and the top five shows will return next month. And don't worry, it's all audio, so you won't have to look at any flop dongs. Frequency 101, you won't have to look at any dicks or buttholes. You are listening to Primetime Flies, a Channel 101 podcast where time flies and we talk with all sorts of Primetime Channel 101 and Frequency 101 people, creators, writers, actors, directors. And the point is to get to know these wonderful people and we'll learn more about their craft, certainly their relationship with Channel 101. And I'll use my time to shower them with much deserved appreciation, affection and gratitude for their work. Ah, shit. What's happening, everybody? Todd here. It's been a minute, right? Feeling a little rusty, but here's the thing. If I were to try to ask people to be on the show in November for a chat in January, too soon. But to ask people in December, it's the holidays, so too busy. And then it's too early in January. Maybe people are in January mode like I am, and it's like, do stuff. No way, girl. Here's the other thing, though. It's only the second week of January, and I got three uh, episodes for the rest of this month, or uh, conversations rather, that rock, that were a lot of fun, and I'm very happy to deliver what whatever you'd call a show hosted by me, most importantly, that podcast celebrating creatives and performers whom you might know from this thing we call 101. Now, my guests Brandon Kahala, along with Dave Campbell, Trent Culkin, and my guest on episode 14, Andrew Parker, make up the team that bring you the uh, Frequency 101 long-timer ghosters. About two ordinary dudes constantly stumbling from one hectic genre piece after another. In the next week or so, they'll now have the longest running show on our Frequency 101 primetime. Frequency 101 being the monthly scripted podcast show uh, fest. A salute to our dealer departed uh, Enter the Dark. Brandon Kahala, who grew up in Florida, is a writer for all seasons and platforms. A performer as well. A really nice person who sure as hell makes me feel like we're in the same league and who's uh, took some time out one week after the Freaky Awards in December to chat with me upon returning home to Florida for the holidays. Presented to you now is that chat with Brandon Kahala. How are you? Is it nice to be home in Florida? Yeah, it was getting really cold in Los Angeles. As soon as I left, <laughs> I was just like, all right, time to dip. <laughs> time to get it's out getting of there. cold in Los Angeles. I know. Angeles. And, and people don't. What's that? Like, my, oh, it's only minus 20 well, here. Or, yeah, I guess Celsius. <laughs> I forgot. Celsius up I here. forgot I'm talking to a Canadian. Yeah. Who lived in the Arctic. Right. Yeah. So everywhere is warm for you. That's not the Arctic. Yeah. But I mean, if there's one thing I know about Florida, for sure, is you got the way better oranges. Yeah. And uh, I've, I've been partaking in the orange juice for breakfast, yes. which I never do anymore like that's totally like a thing i did as a kid like drink the orange juice with breakfast and and as you get older people are like sugar 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 <laughs> so i've been partaking though you know when in florida live like floridians do i'm just this canadian that like ate american pop culture and with a spoon but like there's the seinfeld thing 
Or it's in a lot of stuff, how Florida's the retirement capital sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. I actually had a, a play uh, that I wrote. It went up at uh, in this place called The Villages, Florida. I don't know if you've seen the documentary, Some Kind of Heaven. Oh. It came out in like January of, of this year, 2021. It's about this weird 65 plus community of, of retirees basically living like they're in college again. And um, oh. yeah, so they have a beautiful theater, though. And uh, I one of my plays got picked to have a reading and it was really cool. I mean, it was, it was the first time I'd had a play go up in a giant proscenium theater that wasn't just a black box. That's excellent. I mean, I could use this as a lead in. I don't like to like start the show, start the show in a, a start the showy kind of way. Um, <laughs> you know, you've been writing for a long time. You've written screenplays, film, television. We do the frequency one-on-one stuff, but you, you've written plays. I'm wondering if that's where you kind of got started. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure there's a Canadian equivalent. I went to Blake High School here which in Tampa, which was a magnet school. We have high schools too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, but you have like magnet schools where it's like you have a specialized, like, you know, concentrate like this for me, it was like, it was like the, uh, the fame school, you know, where it's like creative, like arts and visual arts right. and performing arts and all this. That was kind of weird because I went there for high school. So I did get that exposure to like, oh, today we're going to be reading some Samuel Beckett at the age of 14. <laughs> and uh, and then, and then you know, I went to a normal, col- quote unquote, normal college, like Florida State University, which is definitely not. I mean, they have a theater program, but it's it's not like the front burner. So, is that FU? I think it's- <laughs> no, FSU, no. Oh. <laughs> Florida State <laughs> University. Very, very much okay. about that. S. There is a University of Florida, which is our rivals, and we always called them FU. But that was kind of weird to go from the high school, like very nurturing, like yeah, I'm I'm an actor and a writer and everyone loves me. That was what was kind of funny is like in a normal high school, you know, the theater nerds are like the nerds. But in that high school, I was like really cool (laughs) because I was it in theater and they were like the celebrities of the high school. But then to go from that to like Florida State University, where it very much was just like, a all right, let's uh, play some flip cup and some beer pong and not talk about arts at all. (laughs) If you're doing that, you're the guy at the party bringing everyone down. So, you know, just stick to uh, Talladega Nights. Right. Stick to quoting Will Ferrell movies and you'll be all right. I don't know if we can both dance to this. It's just a thought I was thinking about before we got started about writing and how, like, you know, if there's a writer in television or film that whose work you really like, they're kind of like rock stars in a way that, like, no one else gives a shit about. I'm a, I'm a kid. I can't imagine ever having gone, like, hey, you know that person on the screen that, that you never fucking see because they're the writer? <laughs> they're really cool, you know? Yeah. You know, yeah. you hear, hear about the news. Frazier staff writer gets a DUI and you're like, I don't know, is Jane Leaves okay? I don't give a fuck. I think that kind of plays into this, the mystique of the writer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And the, the idea of a writer is like somebody, and I, I think this was in like a Bukowski book where he was like talking about how he went to a, I think it's Hollywood, the, the book Hollywood, where he went to a premiere of his movie and like everyone was asking the actresses and the actors questions, but then he's like getting kind of pissed off that no one was talking about him or the writer. And then he's like, but then I realized the writer was exactly where he needed to be in the back watching. <laughs> so in a way, I think there is like, that lack of publicity for writers, it kind of like feeds into this mystique that I think we all kind of have. We revere them in a way because of the mystique. We being... Like writer nerds like us. <laughs> right. There's the thing that like bugs me a little bit. You know, I can keep it at bay. I don't obsess over it. But one of the things that bugs me is that, I mean, I'm like an old man. Oh, the internet's given everyone opinion. And the opinions that we all hear about movies and television is everyone who's like never written and hates you know, rating. Yeah. Um, 
they all have their own opinion about what this fucking Star Wars movie should have done. And like the writing sucks. This movie sucks. I know. And they've never written and never will write anything. And just so they have no. I feel like the yeah, writing anyway. gets so like that's the first place people like they're like the writing was bad. And it's like, was it or was the execution of the writing bad? Right. You know, like, it, it's, or do you know what bad yeah, writing is? Do you exactly. know what good writing is? Yeah, I know. And it, it's, it's one of the, it's, I mean, not even just armchair critics, but just like within the industry itself, I feel like they blame the writing a lot on flops. Right. And it's, it's third, kind third of a shame. Problems. Yeah. It's yeah. just one of those easy places to put the blame because, you know, you can't make uh, Chris Pratt mad. <laughs> God forbid. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I've kind of learned to accept that. And and I've learned that it's like, there's so much, so many stories to be told that it's like, no one's going to execute it just right. I'm sure when the Wizard of Oz came out, there were people that are like, ah, it's too flashy. <laughs> and then these things that we always like revere as like great movies have, have always had detractors. Can you take me back to some sort of moment where the writing of something stood out to you in such a way that, that made you curious to, I don't know, like whatever kind of obsession drove you to being like, I'm going to learn how to write to screenplay. Yeah, I mean... Or stage play. Yeah, it definitely started as theater. It was, it was, you know, in high school. I always draw it back to Harold Pinter being one of the great playwrights. And that was the first time when I read one of his plays, I think it was The Dumbwaiter. That was the first time I was like, oh, there's like rhythm to the dialogue. And it's more musical than just saying what the character says. It, there's a rhythm to it and it's poetry. And I think that's maybe why I keep writing plays is because that is, that's the place to explore that kind of writing where you want it to be rhythmic versus screenwriting where I very quickly learned it's like, it's there's no time for poetry. It's, it's just like a lot of the dialogue in screenplays is like, look out over there, Jared. <laughs> you know, it's it's very <laughs> sporadic, but but I have been able to find the poetry within those parameters. So I, I think it definitely started with high school, though, uh, to answer your question, reading reading plays and realizing that there's an art to not just what they're saying, but how it's being delivered and how they're saying it. Right. Here's some audio from the fourth episode of Ghosters featuring Brandon as Ghost Pirate Guy. It's great stuff. Ghosters is a show that you can find both on Frequency 101 month to month, as well as on all podcast platforms. This podcast's episode notes will send you there, at least to Spotify. It'll also send you to Brandon's YouTube channel, which contains a reading of Phoenix, a play written by Brandon, which premiered in December 2021, as well as the first and last episode of Brandon's uh, solo Frequency 101 creation, Counterintelligence. Now, enjoy the yarps and yops and the swordplay of Brandon as Pukebeard in Ghosters, Season 1, Episode 4, Pukebeard's Treasure. We better do what he says, man. Look at him. He's holding a big pirate sword. The Once was a ship that put to sea, and the name of the ship was the Billy O.T. The winds blew hard, her bow dipped down. Blow me, bully boys, blow. Soon may the Wellerman come to bring us sugar and tea and rum. One day when the tongue is done, we'll take our leave and go. Whoa, 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 whoa. What be that note ye was singing? Sorry. Uh, sorry. Ye were singing in the key of A-sharp minor, with a diminished third and an augmented fourth. A true pirate only sings in the key of C. Prepare to meet ye, maker. Oh, shit. Oh, he stabbed me. Oh, dude! Yeah, how about ye? Ah! Why'd you stab me? I was singing in tune! You didn't laugh at my key of C pun. Ah! Oh. Uh, like the ocean. 
I get it now. Uh, uh, Drew! Oh. I think we're gonna die, dude. Damn! Oh, I never thought I'd die in Florida! Oh, I just wanna say... Uh, I blame all of this... on... you. Ah, uh. oh, dumbass! I don't know if this happens to you, but like you think you've executed something being communicated. It's telling you this about the character. It's telling you this about the situation. And then you see something somewhere where, oh, damn, like that did those things. But it also like did something else that I wasn't even aware of. Does that frustrate you or does that make you just go like, okay, that's something else for my arsenal? Oh, like, yeah. I mean, when you see it done well like i just saw being the ricardos i mean i know there's a lot of sorkin haters out there but i i, I hey sork it right <laughs> yeah i really liked being the ricardos i thought he did great i i thought it was a great movie i thought it was say what you want about Aaron sorkin but he's definitely like got to that level of like i can now direct what i'm writing and i can make it like rhythmic and theatrical and almost like like molly's game was like watching a play for the most part mm. and and he's getting away with it <laughs> and like when i see that i'm always like wow they're getting away with it <laughs> they're getting away with this this kind of theatrical dialogue that i mean i guess you kind of have to get to the sorkin level to get the money to make those movies but it's still cool to see it happening i noticed that you have a few scripts on a, a website called scriptrevolution.com i do and i'm thinking that your new nickname not that i had one before not that this is polite could be nature boy <laughs> yeah obviously it's human characters but there seems to be a, a through line uh, through all the scripts that you have up there, screenplays. Yes. Um, yeah, that's actually a very generous nickname. I think I would call myself a poor man's Michael Crichton. <laughs> um, that's, that's totally what I'm trying to be. <laughs> if I had Get to pick one. Get the fuck out of here, you fucking poor man's Michael Crichton, son of a bitch. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but like the theme of like nature versus humanity. I mean, that's, that's total Crichton. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm a huge Jurassic fan. You know, even the new ones that everyone hates. But like, I'm, I love the, uh, I love Westworld, the reboot of Westworld and the original Westworld. Have you seen that? I haven't actually, and I feel awful about. Definitely that. worth a uh, a check out at the. I don't even know how you'd watch it now. It may be on one of the streamers, but yeah, from like 1973 with Ewan Brenner. Well, yeah, I know that the new series is a remake of something else. Yeah, I know at least that the old one is actually kind of interesting because Crichton directed that one as well talking about writers who then direct that's uh that was his oh, wow. that was his molly's game i mean i'm I'm not trying to pigeonhole you as as just a writer you do other things mr frequency 101 freaky <laughs> award for best supporting actor that's right Brandon Kahala. i brought the lantern down with me to show everybody <laughs> in my family oh it's a lantern yeah. i thought those were uh <laughs> i no, i thought there were lanterns um sweet i mean in that in regards to that it's I haven't acted acted in like like as me not in a voiceover in over a decade probably the voiceover acting I really I've always loved doing you know just doing voices as a kid I mean I'm sure all kids do that but like I've always loved doing the voiceover work and I think that's kind of what drew me and Andy to doing crypto and everything was that we with the two parts of the process that I really enjoy and I'm sure animators will disagree with me but I really love the writing and I love the voiceover acting. And, you know, yeah, for sure. the animation is cool because that makes it come alive, but it's also very expensive and tedious. So I, we realized very quickly that the parts we like about the process are the writing and the voiceover acting. And that's kind of 
and this and the frequency and and just writing radio plays in general has kind of given us that freedom to to do those two parts without the financial burden and without the time consumption. That's a thing that is nice to be reminded that it doesn't cost us money to make our audio shows, whether it's for frequency or for something. We should be charging money for our work, I think, you know. Uh, Dude, I, I, your show is one of the funniest shows on frequency. I really loved making the frequency. That was so good. And and Charles and Chesty. I was sad to oh, see it go. So much. It, was, it was so great. I was like, yes, like that. When we when we listened to that in primetime on the panel, I was like, all right, somebody's like, because, you know, I didn't know who Todd Donald was. Me and Andy were like the outsiders of this whole thing. And uh, I was like, all right, someone's actually like caring. <laughs> I didn't well, know. I, I didn't know you were this like revered guy within the community. I'm like, oh, this guy's great. Who is this guy? <laughs> but I'm, I'm not in the community. I, I don't think of myself as as being that. Really? And I'm not saying that because a simple matter of geography would change it to feeling like I am. But as long as it's like through the mail or over the Internet. It just puts a level of... Um, like you feel uh, removed? I feel removed. Like when I was watching the Freaky Awards, which for us, we're talking today, it's December 20th. Uh, anyone listening to this, I know it's January, but we had the Freaky Awards. And as I'm streaming it, I'm like jealous of every single person in that room to be in the company of every single other person in the room. It was amazing. But, I, honestly, like it was really cool like just to have, what, finally meet everyone in real life. What's Seeger like in person? <laughs> His hair's long. No. Yeah, you know what? I, I will say uh, he was. It was a. Uh, I I thought maybe he would have an attitude because he's like he is like an OG channel guy, but he was really sweet <laughs> and nice and kind and and can't wait to hang out out with him again. All I'm saying is that like for 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 me, I, I, I'm just a fanboy from Canada who can't really talk to anyone about what we're talking about right now on this show. Uh, with anybody else here, so it's uh it's special to me. I feel like it's a, I feel like it's a gift. Not in an insecure way, but there is an aura of, you're all better than me. <laughs> no. That, uh, I'm, not, I'm not worthy. The geographic, I, I you shouldn't let the geographic thing get in the way of feeling like you're part of the community. I think that's what's kind of cool about it is that people can do it from anywhere and you don't have to live in Los Angeles and pay a lot of money in rent. Well, that's the thing, you know, right there, what you're saying, plus the experience that I've gotten to have to get on Zoom once a month with you and Andrew and Patricia and Abba and Sevon and everybody else who have done the panels with and such, because I'll say this over and over and over again, but like, it's like being in a room with friends in a way. Yeah. And it was, it like I said, it was, it was kind of wild to like have that realization when I was there in real life to be like, oh yeah, I haven't like actually met any of these. Like I had met Abed like maybe the day before the Freakies and that was it or like a week before. Oh, wow. <laughs> in real life yeah i mean it's just kind of wild to go from like talking to these people monthly to realize and having that realize like oh yeah this is the first time i'm meeting annie gerard and you know all these amazing right. creators and it was really cool i mean it was a fun night i mean i me and andy kind of helped write the teleprompter stuff so that was a fun new exercise to uh do that kind of writing i had never done like jokey joke setup and punchline <laughs> type writing before but right. it was it was fun it was a fun exercise. I, I think that's what I'm trying to do now is just kind of expand myself to not just be the next Crichton, <laughs> you know, not just copy somebody. <laughs> there's, there's like that extra layer of watching people react <laughs> yeah. to what they're trying to read. Yeah. I didn't know they were going to do it that way. I mean, uh, <laughs> I didn't know it was going to be like, everyone's going in blind thing. I thought maybe like the leading, the days leading up to it was like, Oh, there's going to be like a tech rehearsal at some point. Right. We're going to get like an email from someone saying, Hey, uh, come on in, you know, early for a tech rehearsal or like a read through or something. And like, 
no, nothing. <laughs> it's all part of it. I really enjoyed watching people see our jokes for the first time and have to deliver them. <laughs> Maybe you could explain what it is, but the freakies, you're singing Don't Stop Me Now by <laughs> Queen. And Andrew Parker is throwing what at you? He's trying like, to stop me. Isn't that funny? <laughs> He's trying to stop you now. Yes. <laughs> Classic comedy. No, uh, yeah, that was, he was throwing ping pong balls at me. I, I went to the liquor store around the corner from my apartment and bought ping pong balls that morning. So there's ping pong balls. And then you wouldn't believe how hard it was to, I, I originally wanted him to hit me with like a newspaper, like a dog, you know, get off the couch type thing. It was really hard to find an actual news. I was like, oh, I'll go pick one up at the, you know, gas station because they used to have them there all the time. But like, it's hard to find an, an actual newspaper that you can buy when you're not a subscriber, you know? <laughs> Nobody reads those anymore, which I mean, I guess I get. But when you're looking for a prop for a comedy bit, that's the bit. And and Abed and Sivan were really cool about us. Like, just I was just like, I wrote this thing. Can I do it? And even though it's going to take up a lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't even know how to put my respect for the fact that the commitment to that bit lasted the entire song. Let's not forget <laughs> there's a nice beefy yeah. Brian May solo in that song. Yes. Yes, <laughs> there is. It takes quite a bit of time. And and I really I was like, okay, I have no choice but just commit to it and and make it be one of those things where like <laughs> it goes from like funny to not funny to funny again just because it is going long. That's the I think joke. That was it. <laughs> What's up, buddies? Kayla here, host of the podcast Screen Vomit, which is a movie podcast for geeks and freaks of all kinds, breaking down films from the last 10 years joined by people in various aspects of the entertainment industry, including musicians, filmmakers, and even several 101ers that y'all know and love, including, but not limited to, Alex Kavitsky, Anna Saragina, and even Todd Donald himself. I love movies, you love movies, I've never met a 101-er who doesn't know what a movie is, but even if you don't, maybe you'll learn a few things, so check it out, Screen Vomit, wherever you find your podcasts. Once again, for those of you who don't know the names, but know the wonderful show Ghosters, which is 12 episodes deep, and due to the cancellation of End of the Dark, could end up becoming the longest-running Frequency 101 show to date in a few months. Anyway... I don't know if you know this, but the full crew of Ghosters are Andrew Parker, Brandon Kahala, Dave Campbell, and Trent Culkin. And this is a clip from Season 2, Episode 4, Welcome to the G.U.N. Show. Everyone in the armory, quick! All right, turds, choose a weapon from the big wall of guns. Oh, hell yeah! They're not guns. They're G.U.N.s. Ghost undoing novelties. And these guys aren't qualified to operate them. Well, they've got fingers, and those fingers can pull triggers, and triggers shoot guns. They're not guns. Listen, I don't want to step on anyone's toes here, but those definitely look a lot like guns. All right, ghost turds, be careful with these things. Try not to- Whoa! Oh, sorry. Finger slipped onto the, uh, fiery, triggery looking thing. Jesus Christ, watch where you're pointing that thing, Dick Cheney. I like my head right where it is, thank you very much. All right, just, just point that G-U-N at the door and get ready. Yeah. They're going to be here any second. Now, everyone, no matter what you do, do not cross the streams. It's very important. Actually, it's fine. They can cross. Oh, okay. Never mind. Disregard. They're here. Here they come. Open fire. Eat shit, Casper. You got him. Nice shot. One down, two to go. 
Hasta la vista, ghosty. Bullseye! Say hello to my little friend, you fucking demon fuck! That's it! That's all of them! Oh yeah! I love killing stuff. Especially stuff that's already dead. Team Crypta, Team Ghosters. Fuck, did you guys move there at the same time, or was it no, a bit of a... No, I was the trailblazer. No, I was the... Uh, I moved out there in uh, 2013, September oh. of 2013, to go to UCLA for the screenwriting professional program, which is not a grad program, but you have to have a bachelor's degree to get in it, and three academic quarters. So it's it's kind of like they took the master's program and then stripped it of all like the film theory and all the extraneous stuff. And it's a lot cheaper. <laughs> um, honestly, at Florida State, there was no, I mean, I took, I, I majored in creative writing, but it was all like poetry and essay. And the closest thing we had was like fiction writing, which I took a few right. courses in and I loved, but I knew I wanted to write for the screen and it's a completely different art form. That's a cliche to think, thing to say, but it totally like, I was like, I need to have some kind of formal training in this. And I applied to UCLA and I got in and at the very least, it gave me an excuse to move to California and a sense of purpose when I got there. I feel like there's definitely mm. like a thing that happens if you move to California and there's you're just fresh off the bus and you're like, all right, now what? But uh, <laughs> that gave me, at the very least, something to do on Wednesday nights and Fridays to have to make that drive, to go to UCLA, to physically have to be in the building, you know, and, and um, that's what I got out of that. And, and there was some great, I mean, there was great faculty as well. I, I learned a lot. Uh, my my teacher wrote Lion King 2, Simba's Pride. Oh, nice. So that was cool. It was a cool experience. And then Andy moved out in 2015. So there was that kind of year to two year period where I was just out there alone in the big city. But it it has made all the difference to have my best friend out there. It's been really cool. And my brother moved out there, too. So now got a nice little uh, hometown click going. And Dave Campbell, who also helps write Ghosters, he, he's from Tampa as well. We got our crew out there. And you kind of need that, I think, in Los Angeles. You need people you trust that aren't just Angelino people that you've met. I forget there's a term. Yeah, yeah. We got our uh, own term. What are you called? What, where, where, what city are you in? I think anyone in Canada is just called Canadian. <laughs> just the blanket Canadian, if, yeah. For you Yanks. Uh, the, <laughs> I think of you guys as like the Florida guys. But you're not new to L.A. anymore as far as when I met you, which is when it really mattered. I'm kidding. Yeah, no. Now I'm seasoned. And it, what's kind of funny is like when I moved out there and when I moved out to Los Angeles in 2013, I would like talk to people and I'd be like, I'd be like how long you've lived here? And they're like, oh, I've been here like eight years. And I remember thinking like, oh, it's so long. You must hate everybody. <laughs> and now I'm out here. I'm out, I'm out in Los Angeles eight years. And I wouldn't say it's hate. It's like learning to navigate a never ending maze that just keeps getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> Are you mainly centering on career when you say that? Yeah, I think so. And And what I've ultimately learned is that you can't center on career out there. It's like the career that happens in Los Angeles happens very slow. And if you only become a careerist, you're going to miss a lot that's going to be happening right in front of you. I think that's the wisdom that I've gleaned within the eight years I've been there. I mean, all those scripts you saw on Script Revolution, I, I mean, me and Andy wrote one and then the other ones I wrote by myself. And those were all within like the first few years where I was just like, go, go, go. I got to write all the stuff I can. Now I've learned to like enjoy the time out there and enjoy the the process. It's not about getting the script done. It's about enjoying it while you're doing it and enjoying the connections you're making and enjoying 
the people that are out there as well. And I, I mean, just within the last year or so of doing channel 101 and frequency 101 stuff, it's, I've realized there is a community of people that are doing it in, in a noble way. And it's not just a me, me, me thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you a workstation writer or are you uh, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, your mind is writing? I guess that ultimately depends on the project. Because I've actually just recently gotten like where a director will come to me and be like, hey, I have this idea. Can you write the screenplay versus me just coming up with everything on my own? And so in those situations, I treat it way more like a job where it's like, OK, I'm sitting at the desk going because like, the, the idea is already there. And I feel like right. the daydreaming stage is already almost gone. Like that's a fun stage to do when you're writing your own stuff. But like if it's somebody coming to you with a treatment or something where they have an idea, then that part's already done. And it almost is more of like a sit down and write. I, there was a great thing that the professor at UCLA told us. He's like, that which you do not write will not get written, which I know is sound like, sounds very basic advice, but it's it's so true. And it's like, you almost have to like treat it almost like a job and ignore the uh, mythos that we were talking about earlier of like, you know, Bukowski and these guys who just get drunk all the time and just, oh, I'm always writing. But like, it's like, <laughs> they, uh, you almost have to treat it like a job or you'll just go nuts. That which I do not drink yeah. will not <laughs> enter my body. Exactly. <laughs> when it comes to the 101 community, again, as much as I can experience it from here, it is vital to me that it's there. Let's just say there are feelings or thoughts floating around from like people who have been around 101 for a long time and that Channel 101 is dead, quote unquote. <laughs> is that the or, per- is that is that what people are saying? There have been people who've said that, and I really don't think it matters who feels that way or who said it. Granted, COVID has affected all kinds of things. Sure. But just because like the screenings are no longer, no question about it in a theater anymore. I see. You know, you, you get out of it what you've come there for or not. Uh, this is not great sentence structure. But for me, despite the fact that there's no regular theater screenings, hasn't stopped me from fighting my way through the distance to like connect with people and collaborate and and have people I can talk to about shit that we're all fascinated in that listen sinking ship or not I'm I'm here <laughs> well I've, I don't know how, how, I think what would you say about that it's kind of weird to like be like a newcomer into this community I mean I know it's like been around since like what oh three mm-hmm. and it's like there's been, I'm sure, ups and downs this whole time and I've, but to be like a guy who's coming in fresh I, I want this thing to like just completely succeed. So it's like, I'm sure maybe, maybe it's just going to be a thing where there's like generations, you know, how like Saturday Night Live has just gone through so many right. generations of people that it's just kind of going to be this machine where there's always going to be a next crop of people to kind of keep it going. I mean, we've kept it going with the frequency thing and channels kept going. Oh, yeah. I, I feel like this maybe was a test for the channel 101 community, which I think we're passing because we just had award shows still. And it's uh, right. it's gone great. I think, if anything, it's kind of proven that uh, maybe the in-person theatrical screenings are kind of an old model. Dan Harmon. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like, it's it's like a thing where you can you don't need a you don't need to rent out a theater to showcase people's work in, in this this age of you know the YouTube and everything. That's I think it's kind of contingent on just people continuing to create because as long as that's happening, as long as there's submissions. It's going to live forever. I mean, as soon as that stops, that's when it would really die, I feel. I think as long as people are submitting, we're we're still rolling. Like the little engine that could. (laughs) I think I can. I think therefore I am. (laughs) Or whatever. I don't know. I don't know. You're you're saying stuff and then I try to join in with 
my <laughs> lumpy brain. There's the other thing too, where like people, when they feel like they're over a time in their life, they tend to phrase it in a way that the thing is over. Uh-huh. And it has nothing to do with anyone else, but their personal experience. And like, I, 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 I kind of get the, like the idea that like, if someone gets romantically involved with someone in a thing and stops getting along with either them or someone else that they were friends with, that unfortunately Channel 101 becomes the thing that's synonymous with the pain or sadness. So, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. But Channel 101 is another word in that case for like high school or... <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's almost like, is it over or are you over it? Right. You don't have to say that it sucks for anyone coming yeah. in all fresh-eyed and, <laughs> right? and doughy-faced and <laughs> eager to do and make. Does anyone listening think that I'm a fucking idiot for... I don't know. I think it makes complete sense. People just, you know putting their own baggage onto something. I'm sure that happens a lot. I mean, getting back to what, you know, how, how easy it is to ruin a movie. I'm sure that happens, you know, when you have, uh, you know, the, they'll, they'll be like, oh, the writing was bad, but it's like, are you, it was the writing bad or are you just putting the baggage on the writing, your own stuff onto, <laughs> are you projecting yourself onto it, onto this thing? There's nothing that makes me happier than when people find a new reason to say they ruined my childhood <laughs> with this new. F- yep. Yeah. I know. You could say you love something and but until they until they do something and it doesn't match your exact idea of what should be done in a thing when you've never written, they've ruined your childhood. Yeah, they, and they, it's they like shat in your fucking coffee. Pot. I feel like they always say that and it and I'm always like, so the only way that they wouldn't say that, it seems, is if they literally just re shot for shot the thing from their childhood. Although that would probably be bad too. They hate it when they pander to the nostalgia and then they also hate it when it deviates too much from the nostalgia. So I guess the lesson is you can't make anyone happy ever. So don't try. Download or stream the Crypto Podcast wherever podcasts are available. I do Apple Podcasts myself, but it's on everything, including Spotify, Stitcher, what have you. Immerse yourself in the fun of a full website for Crypta with visuals, full cast, info, and more by visiting CryptaSeries.com. More links can be found in this podcast's episode notes. I'm going to play you a clip now. This is from the top of Season 1, Episode 1 of Crypta, created by Brandon Kahala and Andrew Parker. Back in the 1950s, a top-secret government project was launched. The genesis of this project was documented in a series of tapes that were promptly recorded, reviewed, and locked away in an undisclosed location. Very little was known about this project. Those involved were sworn to secrecy, with the threat of treason should they mention anything about the events they witnessed to the public. Newly declassified, the tapes have now resurfaced, known only by their original codename, the Doc Stein Tapes. Tape 10. As the storm of the century continues to rage throughout the night, authorities are advising residents to stay indoors and off the roads. Power outages continue to sweep across the tri-state area and multiple tornado warnings are in effect for Hackman, Rattler, and Chickwell counties. No word yet on the magnitude of the storm's destruction, but significant damage has been reported throughout the region. This weather report was brought to you by Baby's First Cigarette. Next time you're at the supermarket while your husband's at work, pick up a pack of Baby's First Cigarettes. They're smooth as a baby's windpipe. January 7th, 1952. The cryptids have stopped talking, both to each other and to me. 
I cannot seem to convince them that the world is a place they will want to someday live, as much as I hate to admit it. I have to say that Operation Crypto... Talking about job jobs, what's the most enjoyable, completely unrelated to creative job you've ever had? And what was the most brutal? Oh, that's hard because they both have had those qualities. I, I worked as a telemarketer in college. You know, those people that call you at dinner and they ask who you're going to vote for in the next election. Oh, I hate you. Yeah. I mean, you're not one anymore. No, yeah, no, no I, I hated me too at that point. But uh, it was, uh, <laughs> you know, it was, a, it was a good $200 a week. It, it was one of those jobs where I like knew I was annoying people. On the other side of that, you'd get the people that were like, <laughs> that were totally like into it and like wanted to take the surveys. And in a way, those people might have been worse <laughs> because they actually have the time to be like, yes, I would love to talk to you about my thoughts on building a casino in my town. So that was nobody ever calls. Me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then. The, that was kind of nice, though, because you could just and then you'd get, you know, the people that like you'd ask them one question and it would just send them on this like soliloquy of everything that's wrong with the country. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they would just go on this huge tangent. That was kind of nice because you just got to sit back and listen to someone rant. I think all it ever all it ever takes is just asking someone what they hate about the country to just send them off. And like you can literally just <laughs> chill there for like five minutes while they, they talk about it and then uh, get a snack and wait the rest of the and then get another call and do it all over again. So that was kind of monotonous and annoying. But I did have to talk to some weird people. And it was always so cryptic, too. It'd be like, where are you calling from? And I'm like, uh, we're calling from east of New Orleans. You know, we were in Florida. So it's like right, right, right. technically <laughs> not a lie. The other job I had, which I actually did enjoy, which is a non-creative job, you know, in the mall, they have like the kiosks. It's not like mm -hmm. a full store. It's just like in the middle of the, of the kiosks. And uh, this was a silly bands. I don't know if you remember this fad from uh, 2010, I want to say 2011. It was like it was these little bracelets that uh, kids would would wear. This was like my first job out of college with a bachelor's degree. And I'm like selling <laughs> silly bands in the mall, you know, just doing it and getting paid cash every day. It was it was one of those like existential crisis jobs, but also like very, very easy because it was a fad and people knew where they were and they just came up and bought them and walked away. And I, it was very low maintenance in terms of jobs. And then steak and shake was fun. I mean, do you have steak and shakes in Canada? No, I, it's all it's all the same. Yeah, it's no, like a I, diner, I just figured. <laughs> diner restaurant. Yeah. yeah, I know this is a very broad question. What's your path like, both literally and emotionally? Like, are you gunning it for, don't call it pie in the sky, but like your fucking goal is writing in the industry for things uh it's it's so weird now because it's like the way the industry is working now is like this is i mean not everyone's path but it seems to be the common track you know someone will work work really hard on a screenplay and it'll be really great and if they're lucky it'll get made into an indie movie and then you don't get hired to write another indie movie you get hired to write sonic the hedgehog 2 or like you, know, you get hired to just take some ip that exists already and turn it into a movie. Right. So it's almost like, I don't know if that even is the goal. I mean, yeah, sure, that you make a lot of money doing that, um, which would be great. Of course, I would say yes if anyone ever asked me to do that. But I don't know if it's as creatively fulfilling as it might seem right. um, at, versus, you know, writing a play that nobody's ever going to see. <laughs> but so I don't know. It's, it's a good question because the answer to that question has changed with the industry changing because now I feel that is the path is like, write something really cool and indie and gritty and then get hired on to write the Barbie movie or whatever is going to be coming out. 
I think I found a good balance where I am doing like the indie stuff with Andy and Dave and, and Trent and uh, Patricia and doing all this stuff uh, for frequency. That's been really fun where we do have the autonomy and the control over our destinies in a mm-hmm. way. But uh, having said that, I'm definitely not above playing the game as it were. So I think that's ultimately what I would like to do is try and maybe straddle both of those worlds. You know what George Clooney, right? He's like, one for me, one for them. <laughs> As far as hope, is there a thing between you and yourself and I? Not me, I. You, I. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm in December mode, everybody. Fuck it, all right? <laughs> the, is there an agreement where you know that you'll be okay leaving this earth if it never happens that there's something major? What's your definition of success and what would you call settling? These are all yeah. concepts <laughs> that I don't know how to coalesce into a proper question. And I shouldn't be hosting a podcast, but take it away. I, I think I get what you mean. I think it's, I've started treating every project like this is as good as it's going to get. And I think that's the key is to like, not have the like, oh, if I don't get this by this age, or if I don't do this ever, I'm not going to feel fulfilled. Like, I mean, having the play go up in Florida in May 2021 was amazing. And and a part of me is like, okay, just like pretend like this is, this is it, you know, just pretend this is as high as it's going to get. And this is as good as it's going to get. When you surrender to that, you have a lot more fun and don't have as much existential dread. You you realize like, oh, I should just be more present in whatever's happening right now. And same for the screenplay that I wrote that, I mean, we'll see if it gets made as directors, you know, he's like, yeah, write it and uh, we'll see what happens. And I'm like, okay, been down this road before, but during the process of writing it, it was great. And I was having a lot of fun doing it. It was challenging, but it was, it was, it's rewarding. I just turned it in the draft today. Uh, the final polish draft and um, we'll see what happens but it's like i did all i can do and i think if you just go into it thinking that whatever you're doing in the present is as good as it's going to get you kind of are have this default thing that happens where you're like all right i guess i should have fun doing it then yeah i mean that's i wouldn't call that surrendering i sure, I'd call yeah. that thriving yeah, in a yeah. way like spiritually right yeah in a way like if anything just being more present because i think there is like this thing in any kind of creative industry where you're always looking forward to the future. It's like, Oh, where are we going to be in six months to a year? And it's like, how, I mean, cause movies take time to make and TV shows take time to make. And there is always this kind of yearning for the future thing that happens. And even just talking to people when you're like, Hey, what are you working on? It's like, Oh, well, uh, we got this thing. Uh, maybe next year it's going to be made. And it's like everyone, at least in LA. And, and I'm sure this is true. Every other place there's creative people where they're like, they're always just kind of looking down the road more. And I think right. I've, learn that it's better to just kind of enjoy the experience that's happening today. I want to use this term for fun, but you're a common person. <laughs> you know, whether you whether you say the word scripted podcast or radio play or audio drama, they still don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah, I stopped using audio drama because I the, everything's a comedy that we write, so it's like very misleading. Yeah. <laughs> like it's like, oh that sounds fun. I'll I'll turn it on and cry. I'm like, no, no, it's a funny thing. <laughs> Well, I mean, drama, you know more than I do, but like drama is a term for like performance or sure, a word yeah. for... But if we're talking about uh, the lay people, then yeah, it's, it's, it, yeah. it is kind of like, that's why I've started saying scripted podcast because most people know what a podcast is and, no, and most people know what scripted versus unscripted television is at this point. So yeah. I think that's kind of the best term. And actually, I think that's what like Spotify uses in their development meetings, which are, <laughs> the, I mean, that's like a thing now, man. You can pitch. I mean, you could pitch Charles and Chesty to people. There's places that are taking audio shows. But, I don't know the first thing about that. That's why I need to train and figure out that shit that I don't know. You need to water the plant, right? And yeah. some, sometimes watering the plant is 
just getting to create and collaborate and communicate with people about it. Ideally, in person, should we get back to a, a perfect place where there's people I can work with that I live near yeah. and we're allowed to mm. and there's no pandemic coming up the works? Yeah. I have noticed because I have had jobs also where like it was a writing job where it's like, I mean, not like script writing, but like copywriting, you know, product descriptions where it's like the job was writing technically. But at the end of the day, when I got home, the last thing I wanted to do was write something creative because I'd been writing copy all day. And it's not like it's it's you only have a certain amount of time before you get burnt out on doing something and and energy before you get burnt out on something. And so I think it is important if you're going to have one of those quote unquote day job things. It's almost better to have it not be something that kind of drains you uh, creatively. So if it is something monotonous, it actually might be better because then you save all the creative energy for when you get home. I could agree with that. I do want to tell you, though, I like you as a person. I'm very glad that we've known each other, even if just over Zoom. But the only real homework I've done as far as getting into your work is uh, listening to the show Ghosters every episode, as well as Crypta every episode. Great. I really enjoy the work. It's interesting. It makes you want to nerd out about cryptoids and cryptology (laughs) or whatever. But it's also very entertaining. And it's really well done. And... Thanks. Hearing, hearing, hearing the characters that you play, I can recognize your uh, timbre. Is that a word people use? Yeah, yeah. It's it's been fun doing it, and like I said, it's 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 like a way to be creative without any of the uh, stress that comes with it. I mean, I guess there is a certain amount of stress, but we've been having a great time, and we just wrote the second season, and actually, the first episode of the second season is up now. We teased it, uh, we released it on Halloween as a special hello to all the people that love us so much. So. That was really cool to have that come out on Halloween. And we're going to have all the other episodes of season two come out uh, this year, 2022. It's it's kind of, it's been one of those things we've been working on for a long time. Like me and Andy wrote, like we drew character designs. Back when we wanted to pitch it as an animated series, we drew like character designs on some notebook paper back when we were in like high school. And so nice. it's one of those uh, passion projects that has now finally found a home in the audio space. It's time for the last clip, and in case you didn't know, Brandrew and Aunt Brandon and Andrew's creation Crypta features the voice talents of Henry Zabrowski, Ed Larson, Shelby Scott, Holy McNeely, as well as its creators. And coming at you now is a preview, a, a segment of a clip from the first episode of the new season, the second season of Crypta, which will guest feature the voices of Danny Tamarelli and Lori Beth Damberg. Damn yo. And the, the episode this clip comes from is called Regenesis, The Returning. Welcome to Crypta Season 2. We last left the cryptids in the 1950s. For 70 years, Big Ness and Mothman have been kept locked down in Area 51 under the supervision of the expatriated German doctor, Hans Stein. But all of that is about to change. We go now to the Area 51 rec room. Present day. fingers. One more. Best two million out of three million. You'll never beat me. My vision's twenty twenty thousand. Oh, that was even funnier than the first thousand times I heard it. Not? It's as unfunny now as it was 70 years ago. I demand a rematch. I'm suffering from a mean case of paddle flipper. 
It's like tennis elbow, but you know, I don't got those. So, paddle flipper it is. Yeah, 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 excuses, excuses. Now scoot over here, Liz Tubman. Back of the bus. Ha ha ha, yeah, bitch. History Channel Slam. Ugh. All right, that's just wrong and ignorant on so many levels. Just, just pick up your paddle, simpleton. School's in session, and you're tardy. And today was the day of the big science fair, and you couldn't get your parents to sign the permission slip to enter it because they didn't love you. All right, I know you're trying to get into my head because of the competition, but that's a little much. Can we just play the game here? What are some reasons, one, two, five, that someone, presumably someone who hasn't, made something or submitted yet. Um, what reasons does Brandon Kahala have that they should make something and submit it? Well, if you're like me, you like uh, doing things with a minimal amount of effort. <laughs> and uh, and frequency is honestly, I mean, it's not like, I'm not going to say there's no work involved, but it's uh, you can you can have people in Canada. You can have actors that aren't in Los Angeles record stuff and send you their files and then edit it wherever you are. It's really opened it up at least for me and the guys, like we've always, you know, had that thing of like, well, you should make a comedy troupe. Um, but like, this has really kind of opened up the accessibility of like not having to organize shoot days, getting everyone in, right. together in one place. And oh no, this actor doesn't live close enough. So never mind, we can't use them. There's just, there's so much more freedom with the frequency thing. And I think that that's what people will really get when they, if they make a show for it, they'll be like, oh, okay. That was like, I've been saying it since the beginning. It's like just challenging enough because it's like monthly, so there is kind of a ticking clock element to it, but it's also like very low maintenance in terms of organization and that kind of thing. So you actually can focus more on the writing and the delivery of the jokes and, oh, that joke's not working. Let's reword it. <laughs> so much comes down to just like, oh, wait, how many syllables is this line? Like I've learned that there's definitely like a shaving syllables element to like all the, the joke writing and just the word placement can make all the difference. And, and you really get to focus more on that kind of stuff when you're not trying to organize a shoot and trying to get people to you know come from out of town and it's like oh give you gas money dude yeah so there is like that that element which is like okay i can focus more on the creative stuff and not have to worry about providing snacks <laughs> i mean like oh god where are we going to get the catering from all these little things that in the physical production you have to worry about and are expected to worry about just right out the window and it's more about okay what's what's the funniest sound for this ghost to make the succubus or the incubus ghost how do we how do we make that funny right or what does a cajun man sound like? <laughs> yeah bon tom roulet one of my favorite <laughs> characters muskrat tombs just the names they tell a story i'm glad andy included that one on the uh little reel that we had to do for the, the supporting actor <laughs> nomination <laughs> I, I, I have like, I have enjoyed like just like this the immense amount of hidden talent within this community has, has been very cool to see. I'm like, oh my god, who are these fucking people? They're so fucking funny. Like, where were these people yeah. when I was a teenager? Then I could have used right. a friend, you know? Yeah, I mean that applies to you. And I, I don't know if you've gotten to this point yet, but ha have you watched those guys that have like groomed us through this whole process, like Sevon and Abed? Mm -hmm. Have you watched enough of their? <laughs> yeah, you probably have by now, the right? Snickers All bar. I know about the Snickers bar. That's probably the best one. Yeah. <laughs> All the, um, all the commercials, me and Andy and Dave had just a screening day. We're like, we're just going to watch because like this was like when we were like new to the whole thing. We're like, all right, if we want our show to survive, we have to do research and look at all the people that have come before us in this great. Like I said, it's like SNL where you just got there's like generations of people. And uh, we, we watched. Yeah, we watched all the old commercials and stuff and the stuff with the Royland in it. And I'm like, oh God, comedy yeah. legends. And they're just shooting on, you know, the mini DV tapes. 
It's like, and I've realized that it's like you don't need the gatekeepers to succeed if you if you just want to do it yourself. It's not, and that's kind of I think why we gravitated towards frequency one hundred and one and channel one hundred and one is because it is it, it maintains that indie spirit, even if the people working on it are you know working on the three caballeros show and like doing these these more quote unquote right. legit things. It's maintained its indie cred, and that's what I think we like about it most. Like fuck. If it wasn't around, like, how would we not only, like, make something that's complete within a month? How would any of us, not any of us, how would people like me, how would some of us find an audience that would genuinely listen to the thing? Yeah. Frequency 101 allows us to exist to other people, which is something that I I don't think really in a substantial way anyone else is doing. Unless you're talking about one-minute intervals where you're just copying a dance move. You know, I'm not pointing fingers at TikTok or anything. <laughs> um, Go ahead and point. I think what's cool is that it is like this weird meritocracy where it just comes down to like, what's good? Like, it, and, and it's actually been one of my favorite parts of the whole thing, which was surprising to me. It's like not just the creating the shows, but like when you're in the primetime panel, you get to uh, do the whole like, which show should go first? And like, it's almost more of like a programming thing where you're like kind of catering the show to people and like, bro, we have a music, we have a musician, we should put that in the middle, you know, like Saturday Night Live does. You just kind of figuring out the programming is has been really fun for me to like kind of put the show together as well as like you know making the freakies and and doing the the copy for the teleprompter and stuff and just putting everything together. It's it's been a cool exercise and 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 something that I would have you know I'm not going to be hired to write for the Emmys anytime soon so like that's that was really <laughs> cool to like have that exercise and it's it's only made me a better writer please I always have this vision of us like having like a black and white photo like in The Shining and it's like the first generation of freaks <laughs> and yeah. it's like you know 50 years in the future when this is still going and like there's been like several generations of frequency creators they're gonna be like what was the first freakies like it must have been weird and then there's just a picture of us like haunting them. You made ghosters yeah, back in 21. True. Yes, but you yourself are in ghosters. Right now. You've always <laughs> been in <laughs> The show oh, is man, still that... going. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, man. Uh, this was fun. Dude, this was great. Thank you so much for having me. All right, and enjoy the holidays. Yeah, you too, man. This podcast features music used with permission from the Holocene EP by Postmodern Machine. Available wherever you get bandcamp.com, but please visit postmodernmachine.com. This has been Primetime Flies, a Channel 101 podcast hosted by Todd Donald. Thanks for listening.